0: Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Grant Williams podcast. Joining me shortly is my friend David Dorr, who's been a guest on the podcast a couple of times before uh, when the subject at hand has been the world of cryptocurrencies. And David has just um, been a fantastic guest on, on those subjects. But the subject at hand today is something of a very different nature altogether, and that is unidentified flying objects, UFOs. Now, I'm sure, like me, you've seen uh, an incredible spate of reportings of UFOs being seen and foreign objects being shot down over various countries. And yes, we started with a spy balloon, which is pretty clearly that. And somehow, ever since then, all the things that have been shot down are either unidentifiable or there's no footage of them, which I found quite fascinating. And David... Uh, has been digging into this subject for many, many years now and very kindly offered to come and talk to me about this. I have no idea where this conversation is going to go. I have no idea what I'm going to find out, but I know that David is an incredibly thoughtful guy who spent an awful lot of time studying and thinking about this stuff and I thought it would be a waste of an opportunity to not have a chat with him about this current spate of uh, intergalactic phenomenon that we're being bombarded with. So without any further ado, here is my conversation with David door David, welcome back to the podcast, my friend. It's so good to see you
1: again. Yeah, likewise. It's a pleasure. And um, this one's going to be fun. This is this going to <laughs> be a lot
0: of fun. You know, it's, it's so great to have the ability when things are going on, to speak to people that follow stuff that you just don't, right? And this is the perfect example of that because the topic at hand is all the craziness on the front page of just about every newspaper in the world about, um, well, let's let's stick to the old terminology, UFOs, for now, because we can yes, get into how that's changed over the years. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's just been this massive swell. And it's funny, I'd noticed it before recently, you know, we had the congressional mm-hmm. hearings and I don't know, Just it just seemed to be a, a shift of some sort in the whole dialogue around unidentified flying objects. And then, boom, the last few weeks, it's just Explosion. been crazy. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm fortunate in being able to talk to you about it because you're someone who's actually spent a lot of time looking into this seriously, you know? And so I just thought it would be a really yep. interesting opportunity to have a conversation about it with someone who knows something about it i'm just kind of this bewildered child almost (laughs) but you know i'm back to back to being a kid looking up at the sky wondering what the hell's going on
1: grant we all are and people are going to ask like what the hell david one day you're talking about crypto today you're talking about ufos (laughs) and like help string these dots together and so by no means am i an expert in this stuff but to to give a little context look anybody that's in global macro you have to operate a bit as a quick armchair expert on, on every new right, crisis right. that comes about, right? You know, everybody macro—we're all experts on Ukraine and Russia now, and before that, the pandemic, and, and yes. now we're all going to be now we're all going to be experts on, on on UFOs. And I was I was kind of making the joke with my team a little over a year ago. I even changed it on my Twitter handle that we're really moving swiftly from the era of you know global macro to what I've kind of called tongue in cheek galactic macro. And there's so much wild stuff going on. And, you know, for me, listen, we we don't run a firm like Renaissance or Bridgewater. I have absolutely no alpha, no edge in systematic systems and, and global uh, global macro systematic. And so we have to look for our edge going where like nobody's really paying attention or maybe really far out like the, the subject at hand. And so, you know, either just by grace or dumb luck, we've been tracking this really close and there's a lot of interesting stuff to share.
0: Well, listen, let's go back to the beginning of your journey with this first, because I think, you know, um, you and I, are, I think I'm a slightly older vintage than you, certainly looking at, <laughs> looking at the state of us both. Like you're you're a much younger <laughs> than me. But, um, <laughs> Not at all. But, you know, I, I think if I'm the leading edge of Gen X, you may be the trailing end of Gen X. And so, you know, you and I grew up in a time where, you know, it was like peak Star Trek and Aliens right. and all this kind of stuff, and so you, you you couldn't help but come into contact with it as a kid, and it was always a subject of fascination, but largely, you know, confined to the whole you know little green men from space type thing. So, so to That's talk right. a little bit about your relationship with the subject, going back to being a
1: kid. Yeah, so so very similar, just like you, you know. Um Gen X, you know, we grew up with a working household, both parents working, and Hollywood had to entertain us with everything from X-Files to ET. And we tuned in and enjoyed, and, and, and we were perpetually curious, right? It, it made us think and imagine, and, and those were really worthwhile times to grow up. For my household, what I think may have been unique was that our father was really into the subject matter. And in a very, my dad's a, a pretty serious guy. And he was into the subject matter in a really interesting way. He always pressed upon us that you want to have an open mind. You want to stay curious, but you also want to think critically. And I really attribute a lot of that to, you know, the career path that, you know, my me and my youngest brother created for ourselves. So for us, these were conversations around the dinner table. Uh, literally our whole life like all the time we had collections of books the time life series and, and everything else and and he studied it as a hobbyist and a ufologist you know and really took the matter serious so because of that you know i had a good Context growing up around it from the entertainment side all the way to the taking it serious side, which is dovetailed well for for what's going on right now and and particularly what's happened in the last five and a half years because that's really what I think is you know what we're going to look back historically and say there was there was a big inflection point in 2017.
0: Yeah, as you say that, it occurs to me that if you're a ufologist you're you're an accidental stroke of a pen away from being a urologist, which is a whole, a whole <laughs> different a whole, a whole different career path but um but let's so let's just do this last 5 years then because you're right yep. as i said to you at the beginning that i you know I, I don't really pay attention but i'm aware and i've i've noticed mm-hmm. the subject cropping up time and time again just in you know little bits here and there and, and i haven't said paid much attention to it but i realized in the mm-hmm. last few weeks that I have been aware of this for the last five years. So you, mm-hmm. you sent me a memo kind of before this conversation, which was a fascinating primer on this. So, so why don't we go through that and go back to the inflection point in 2017?
1: Yeah, so the key is here, and, and the audience is going to have to bear with us because the story is that provide the filler in it, it just sounds completely crazy. Right. Like right. completely crazy. So, so m- most people most people in general, because of mainstream media and just everything, there have been pieces picked up. And so everybody, even without paying close attention, has noticed there's been stuff going on in the media for the last five years. You know, there was the sighting, the USS Nimitz off the coast of San Diego, which was in 2004. And 2017 was what kicked this off. So let me give everybody a little background and and we'll fill this in. And then we'll be able to to accelerate. Give us
0: the story of that that 2004 encounter, because reading that, it was extraordinary.
1: Yeah. So what happened was there was a significant encounter by two of our, our Navy fighter pilots um, during a practice session, a training session off the coast of, of San Diego. And what they encountered was effectively what's been known as the, the Tic Tac because the UFO they encountered out there was shaped like a white Tic Tac. It was estimated to be about 30 to 40 uh, feet in length and had no discernible flight surfaces, methods of propulsion, but was incredibly quick. They had spotted it on radar coming down, I think, from 60 000 to 80,000 feet in, in the air all the way. To to just hovering over the ocean. And when you have observations like that, it's it's important to understand, you know, I'm a data guy. I I need, I have an open mind, but I also wanna see the data that supports this stuff. And what was so fascinating about that case is that there were so many components of data, including eyewitnesses and quite literally top gun type pilots that are you know reporting on this. David Fravor was the pilot in charge of that. And he went to take a look at this UFO that was hovering over the water that they've been sent out to observe. And this thing took off. And he made an arc around and this thing was clearly intelligently controlled and kind of just paced them and toyed with them. And what was most interesting, if you watch the videos and interviews with him, because he he talks about this a lot. And I, I think the the takeaway for me in, in that particular incident, what stunned him was that what's called their cap point where you're supposed to return to is only known by the pilots. That's not transmitted per se, right, like right. an enemy, an adversary wouldn't be able to obtain that. And so when they left, this thing zipped off and it arrived at their cap point. So this is, you know, you're getting into some really, really strange, strange territory there. Now, what happened was is from 2004 all the way to 2017, really nobody knew about it. And what happened in 2017 is the New York Times broke a series of of articles around our special access programs and the United States government and the Department of Defense. And through that, These videos, a series of videos with Perfect Chain of Custody was released. And this was the aha moment for me, not just as a hobbyist and like, hey, this is cool. This is something like out of the X-Files. This was a holy crap. This is a policy shift. And for me doing a career in macro, I'm a policy nerd. I'm looking for those kind of things that, you know, where are we going to see a change in policy for better or worse? And the fact that the Department of Defense would be so forthright on it was stunning to me. And it hit mainstream news. It was on all the all the channels, but it was also going into the holidays. So it kind of came in and came out very quickly. But here's the story on how that got in motion, because these participants are really important for the audience to understand. So, again, going back to Gen X, many people might remember. This is the crazy part of the story to me, crazier than the UFOs themselves. Is a, a rock band called Blink 182. So, Blink 182, popular rock band in, in you know in the '90s, and the lead singer was uh, was a rock star named Tom DeLong. So, Tom DeLong, This is just. A, it just sounds so wild to me, even just telling his story. I'm very familiar with it at this point. I've watched all his interviews. Tom DeLong turns out his hobby. He spends his time when he's on the tour bus and, you know, and bored, he's reading UFO books and, and that's his thing. That's like, that is his thing. Some people surf, Tom DeLong is into UFOs, like my dad, but except he, you know, Tom's a rock star. So Tom, through channels, was able to, he he makes a very unusual and unorthodox choice as a liaison for communicating top secret information from the Pentagon. But he was the guy. He worked his way into conversations with people and whatever his sales pitch was, they found compelling enough. And he set up this group called To the Stars Academy of Arts and Science. And they were the ones responsible for bringing these videos forward with cooperation from the Department of Defense. Now, I saw this and at first I was like, this is just silly. Like, I don't what am I even trying to interpret here? And so I looked into it. And here's where the credibility for me starts to stack up and not taking anything away from Tom himself as a rock star, but adding on the data, the science and and people really hands on involved. When Tom set up to the Stars Academy of Arts and Science, and I think he formed it that same year, 2017, maybe he added a year prior. When you look at the people that he brought over onto his team that came out of the Pentagon, Chris Mellon, Hal Putoff, Lou Elizondo, and you look up the backgrounds, look at these guys' names, mind blowing. These guys are very serious guys. Chris Mellon, for example, was Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Intelligence underneath both Clinton and George Bush. Um, Lou Elizondo ran the former. This was the special access program that was revealed by The New York Times. He was in charge of it. It was called ATIP at the time. And Hal Puthoff, for those of you that don't know who he is, he's my, he would be top of my list as the most interesting there's a a free YouTube movie called Third Eye Spy on YouTube. Go on there, check it out. How Putoff's been in the scenes of a lot of really interesting stuff with our CIA and our agencies for a very long time. He studied remote viewing, which was basically telepathic viewing, to see if we could spy on the Russians and the Chinese and, and whoever else, and they were successful. So. We have a lot of really interesting stuff going on. He's an incredible scientist himself. He's been involved with these programs forever, still is involved. And um, you just have this really interesting cast of characters. So that's when it hit our radar. And we said, OK, something is going. There is a shift in policy. There's a shift in narrative that people are choosing, you know, that have uh, you know power to are choosing to shape this. And from there, what happened was that these guys really started pushing to educate senators. And they've been doing so for the last couple of years, incredibly successful. Incredibly successful. And they've been able to pull out other both retired and active, you know, servicemen and women that have had encounters and so as it turns out there's tons of stuff people will be like well you know if aliens were really here why haven't they landed on the white house yard and when we start to actually look at the data they practically have like there's actually lots and lots and lots and lots of data it's not a limited set there's lots of stuff going on out there and these guys have been educating you know senator senator marco rubio is um got uh, on track with this a couple of years ago. And then what happened was in the National Defense Authorization Act of 2022, the senators, you know, Congress came together and they decided to set up an agency to receive all the intel from all the other agencies on the subject matter. So basically to have a more kind of out in the open reporting system for UFOs. Now to see something like that passed in some of our most important legislation, I mean, what do we spend more money on than anything else in the U.S.? Yeah, Weapons, right, defense, defense. Yeah. Everything. And this was an open conversation in Congress made it in. And then last year, things started to really accelerate is that we had our first congressional hearing on UFOs in more than 50 years. Mind blowing. I mean, again, the hearing itself was really dull. But the fact that it happened and see, those those are the things that we looked at as a, you know, as a macro firm. We're like, well, the fact that they are even hosting that, no matter how boring the content is inside, whether they disclose anything or they don't. The fact that that got scheduled, was made, and there's a whole chain of reporting that's now coming out into the open is furthering our view that there's been a substantial policy shift. And then you get to the really interesting stuff is the modification of the National Defense Authorization Act legislation for 2023, which was drafted last year. In that, what was happening is because of the congressional hearing, senators were not pleased with the speed and the level of access of information that was being given. And so they put in effectively what's a whistleblower protection. So that people that work in special access programs in the defense sector, retired or not, can come forward and share that information with Congress. And what's fascinating is that this rolls back, that protection rolls all the way back to 1945. So even predating, you know, Roswell. And what also snuck into this congressional hearing, and I encourage everybody listening to this, do not take my word for this. Look it up yourself. It's all in the public domain. So you don't have to say, oh, my goodness, Grant and David, what are you guys smoking banana peels today? They'll
0: probably say that Uh, anyway, but it's just fascinating.
1: Exactly. They'll probably say it anyways. But look this stuff up. What made it into the congressional hearing that was the most important and slipped in kind of at the last moment, didn't get discussed in the congressional hearing. It was just a blurb on it, is a memo known as the Wilson Davis Memo. And this memo is a recorded conversation that was notated from a scientist that's worked on these special access programs named Eric Davis with an admiral named uh, Tim Wilson. And it's wild. And like I said, you you download it. I just downloaded it to check to make sure it's still up. I mean, you can download it right off of Congress's website and read the memo and see what it says. There's direct reference to crashed craft from other worlds retrieval there's saying that we have them that some of our top brass doesn't have access to the programs and this admiral was complaining about access to information on it but that we have craft from other worlds intact that we know how to use and this is what senators are now pushing for i mean this is mind-blowing mind-blowing stuff that we're (laughs) even like that that's even a thing and then you arrive to what's happened in the last week and It's very clear that the United States government is taking this stuff real serious. Like even the remarks from the press secretary today, the fact that they even needed to clarify for the public that, no, these aren't aliens or extraterrestrials. You wouldn't say that unless there was, you know, I don't want to speculate. You wouldn't need to clarify that. They're clarifying it because, according to the National Defense Authorization Act, we have a full budget for discerning those exact things. And they're very careful to say, you know, there's conflicting things. Was it a balloon? These last three that were shot down, we've shot down four objects now, just in the last week. Yeah. And if you look at all the, everything they're saying, they're saying these are objects. They're cautious not to label them balloons. First one was definitely a balloon, but the last three, one was octagonal. The other one in Alaska was messing with the equipment, you know, for the fighter jets. And I'm not saying that these are alien spacecraft. But what I'm saying is that I know a trend <laughs> when I see right, one. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. And I think, I think and then and that's the fascinating thing is the trend of this. Cause I, you know, and again, as I say, I, I haven't spent a lot of time on this, but I've, I've been fascinated to watch it happen. Um, and I remember back in, it must have been October last year, where, ironically, given all, all the time spent on this, the, when Tom DeLong announced he was rejoining Blink 182 and they were going to yep. go out on tour again. <laughs> Right. And and yeah. I think they're out on I think they're out on tour now. So he may have given up precisely <laughs> at the wrong time. I don't know. But it's the trends. Exactly. This is exactly right. And it's a trend in a willingness and an openness to discuss these subjects. And it's a trend in them being reported. And not just reported, but given credence by the platforms which are reporting them. And and you know, on the basis that in the last week, I haven't seen a mainstream media, with the exception of the New York Post, touch the Seymour Hersh article about the Nord Stream pipeline. It's fascinating right. to me to see every Absolutely. respectable broadsheet in the English-speaking world all over yep. this UFO stuff.
1: Right, exactly. So it's, it's they're taking notice, and even in the, the, the press announcements today, I can't remember the word for word what they said, and people can play it back. But they're referencing that this isn't only a issue for the United States. This is a global issue. That was a curious remark. Like, what's a global issue? The balloon? Are the Chinese, what like, what are you? What's a, yeah. what specifically is a global issue? Now you talk to the people that are reporting and collecting the data on this. You know, you uh, let's the UFOs. I, I prefer the classic term as well. UFOs, you know, believed to be from you know off planet. I mean, these guys are absolutely saying it. And there's some really interesting guys. There's a um, another guy that is absolute worth a follow too. So you may remember a, a reporter, an investigator from Las Vegas named George Knapp. He was in the the late 80s, early 90s. He broke the Bob Lazar story. And Bob Lazar is a really fascinating character along this kind of trajectory of of UFO disclosure. So Bob Lazar is the reason we know, like Area 51 is a pop culture thing, which is a real place, as we all know. It is a very real place. We know that Area 51 exists. That's because Bob Lazar came out and told us. And for those that don't know, just a quick blurb on Bob Lazar, Bob Lazar was at um, at Sandia, Los Alamos. He was at one of the, the physics laboratories. He was a young physicist. And he got recruited basically by our military to study the propulsion systems for alien craft. And that's what he says. And he, you know, he was investigated heavily by George Knapp, who was a reporter on a local TV station in Las Vegas at the time. George Knapp's a very serious guy. He was doing investigative journalism and and covering, you know, mobs and corruption and all types of stuff. And he was fascinated by this case. And they went out and they, they saw weird lights flying over, you know, Area 51. And he took his story. And this guy holds to that story to this day. Well, George Knapp has a young kind of protege, a filmmaker who did a documentary on Bob Lazar named Jeremy Corbell. And Jeremy Corbell is kind of a, he looks like a rocker, kind of like Tom DeLonge. And this guy's amazing too. Like the stuff he's getting from from military folks, you know, passing him information that he then gets kind of the blessing from the Department of Defense to release. I think it was about two weeks ago, he just released a photo that was from uh, Mosul, Iraq. And, and it shows this silver sphere by one of our spy planes. It was taken in color <laughs> and it's a silver sphere floating over a conflict zone. So, I mean, in my mind, there's zero doubt there's stuff going on. And of course, look, you know, for all of us that grew up like this or whether you did or not, to me, it's like, you know, we just launched the James Webb telescope. Like, are we alone in the universe? I highly doubt it. I think the universe is probably teeming with life. And I think we're going to have 2023 as an inflection point where we rediscover that curiosity as to what our role is in it. You know, on the positive side, there's going to be some really interesting stuff that I think will come out of this. I think we'll see a huge boost in in STEM programs. I think yeah. you know, kids hopefully will stop looking at TikTok for a bit and and look look up at the stars. So, yeah, it's going to get wild.
0: So, so let's let's unpack some of this stuff because I'm um, yes. I always go back to what my buddy Ben Hunt said to me is, and that's to ask the question: Why am I reading about this now? You know, yes. and so I tend to wake up in the morning and the first thing I put on is my cynical hat, right? because that's just the way yes. I prefer to live my life. I find I get let, I disappointed far less often doing that. So <laughs> so with that, with that firmly in place, I'm like, well, okay, there's an awful lot going wrong in the world right now. There are an awful lot of things that are troubling for governments. There are an awful lot of things that, you know, are causing them sleepless nights for policy makers, whether it's inflation or social unrest or war in Ukraine or domestic politics or the end of globalisation, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And hey, presto, when everybody's kind of pissed about something, out of nowhere we start reading left and right about something that's going to make everybody drop what they're doing and look up the sky and go, ooh, like the aliens in Toy Story. Right? So I can't help but ask that question. Why suddenly every day... Are we reading about this stuff?
1: I totally agree with you, and I I wake up with a similar hat. And you know, Ben's a brilliant guy. His ability to dissect narrative—he's an expert with narrative. And and I think that that's a really key light to shine on these issues. Yeah, it's hard to say—is this being created as a as a point of distraction? Absolutely, in some way or form. And we're spending a lot of time on this internally at our firm. Actually, you know we really start trying to figure out like, what's going on? Like, what is this going to lead to? Why now? And we have some small insights on that, not big ones. I think there's a lot of question marks, but some of them is that for me, a large part of my career has been trying to find these phase shifts. And, you know, we love the word in, in our office, exponential. And the reason we like it is because it's not so compatible with human thinking. Humans, yeah. we tend to think in a linear fashion, and so we find a lot of edge looking for something that will change exponentially, and it throws people off balance of expectations. Now, what's interesting with what we could just broadly call, and others, barring from what others are calling this, is the phenomenon, right, is that there has been an exponential increase in what's taking place. Now, when I say exponential increase, a lot of people, you know, the first reaction is like, well, is that because now everybody's got a cell phone with five cameras on it mm-hmm. and can can zoom in and and, you know, are forward looking infrared radar for our military is better. Or they tweak the radar system, as they're talking about in the news today, which is total bullshit. I totally <laughs> it's not NORAD didn't just tweak their radar system to, to filter in more stuff and then go scramble jets and shoot something down that that I don't believe that for a second. But. Sensors is only part of it. So what we know from following the subject very close for the last five years is that exponential increase with existing systems, like the traditional systems, it's not just better systems, but even the existing systems are having an exponential increase in activity worldwide. So you have our top fighter pilots are reporting fleets of sightings our top radar guys are reporting fleets of ufos and i'm not talking drone swarms this is not what they believe these things to be they're doing different stuff so one part of us believes that the government is probably finding itself in a bit of a bind in that this may be whatever is going on might be coming out one way or another and So trying to shape some narrative and and do good and air defense systems, they, they might be trying to get themselves out in front of it it could be to distract from you know subjects like what the yale professor for, for a proposal for japan is, is that you know yes, old yes. people should kill them old people should start committing mass suicide for, yeah. to resolve our demographic and debt issues so, so you know maybe maybe ufos is you know how how the u.s government does it <laughs> entirely possible but we think that there's factually there are two points of pressure that we can demonstrably see one is that there is real political pressure that has come from these former teams, Chris Mellon, Tom DeLong, and and you know their followers um, have legitimately pressured really heavy a number of senators that have now gotten on that bandwagon. And part of the success of that pressure grant is that they included a lot of servicemen, both active and retired, in that pressure, saying, "Hey, whatever the actual explanation turns out to be, we have a serious issue." even if it is the Chinese and they figured out anti-gravity right, machines, right, right, we have to get to the bottom of it because this is, it's serious. No matter what you want to categorize it, there's something serious going on and we need to get to the bottom of that. So you take that plus an exponential increase and you have that. Now I'll tell you the theory that our our CTO has that he threw out that I thought was pretty interesting as well. When you go back in history to the last time, that we had so many sightings and it was in the newspaper and the government was talking about it and stuff, you know, getting back to the Roswell era, it was when we exploded the first atomic bomb. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like, is that, you know, maybe an advanced civilization said holy crap the monkeys have found fire (laughs) you know we need to we need to at least start monitoring them and seeing what's going on but there was when you look at how many nuclear tests we did and the explosion of you know no pun intended the explosion of ufo sightings that accompanied that it was extraordinary and there's a really, really good book on it. I don't recall the name, I'll find it. We can put it on Twitter later. But there's a book that covers this in fantastic detail, documenting like all these sightings, you know, we know these things have flown over nuclear air bases and shut off missiles. Not only for us, they've not only shut off our nukes, but they've done it for the Russians as well. So so there's something going on. Now what our CTO says that I thought was provocative is he said, look, what are people talking about is potentially more dangerous than nukes? Artificial intelligence. What are we arriving at this year? And over the next couple of years, we're arriving at this inflection point in artificial intelligence. Maybe this is another like, uh uh-oh, now the monkeys have, you know, they made it past fire. (laughs) Now they got a keyboard. You know, like we're back. Like we need to monitor these guys. I don't know. I don't know. But these are, there's momentum. There's certainly momentum. And I think that warrants all of us paying attention. Well, this is the fascinating
0: thing because it's so easy to just go, ah, hooey, right? And Mm -hmm. say, yeah, whatever, here we go. Nutjob's talking about space again. And and like I say, I've never never really spent an awful lot of time thinking about it, but I know when, as you say, there's a sea change in a narrative and I know that something is happening that it's worth me watching. I I don't know what my conclusions are going to be, but I know that I'm going to be paying more attention to this going forward. So let's talk about why... Now, there seems to be this incredible willingness on the part of governments, congressmen, senators, special committees, whatever mm-hmm. it is, this incredible willingness to have an open dialogue about something that they basically shut down any talk of for 70 years.
1: Yeah, I think that part of it's generational, right? You have a lot of Gen Xers that are that are in Congress now. And so... I think it's a more comfortable topic for them. There is a really interesting, if you if you divide up the reporting amongst the military branches, the one branch that's that's noticeably absent from providing information, and this is interesting, is the United States Air Force. And what's been stated, the reason for it is because of current existing high ranking officials within the, the Air Force are generally more conservative, and the religious beliefs are making this uncomfortable. That's been reported a lot over the last decade. But I think it's a combination of openness. I think certainly the United States would love something to keep us distracted from our our soaring debts and and inflation and and just go into the poorhouse. So I don't doubt that that's an element of it. And I do think that there is a, a general concern that... I think for the less informed uh, senators, so some of them are read in, they're seeing classified stuff and they've come out and they're like, this looks like Star Wars. The ones that are seeing the high definition videos, you know, we're seeing the pixelated, you know, well, yes, low, yeah. Gr- low, grade, low you grade craft. yeah, which is super frustrating. Like, think about it. Are we supposed to believe that we've shot down four objects in the last three? Like, th- there's no we don't have any coverage of this. They haven't found the, the wreckage yet. There's no high definition video. I mean, we got drones too, and they're amazing. You just drop a drone out of an Apache and, you know, zip down and and find that. I, I, you know, I don't know, but it's, we know for a fact that the classified information is high definition. There are high definition videos and sensors. They're very, very, very delicate. Because that starts to reveal sources and methods, and what we've been studying is that the less informed senators, their concern is that an adversary has advanced uh, systems. Yeah, right. the more informed senators are like we have et (laughs) like that's that's what they're, they're like no we we might look back and wish that it was russia like we don't know but like something far 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 more sophisticated is going on and by the way part of these reports include things that are zipping through our oceans at you know 400 knots and above and effortlessly through the ocean, through the atmosphere, through space. And, and, you know, and it's not a coincidence that we have a space force. Your pal, and, and I'm a big fan of uh, Dr. Pippa Mauger. Pippa, yeah. She's, yeah, she's, Pippa's brilliant. I love reading her her stuff. She did a blog post last year on UAP. And, you know, what she's been saying for a while is the space race is on. So I think that those are probably other very real factors. Is that there's a lot going on and going up that w- we probably don't understand fully the gravity of that the new battles are in space. So I think that even if we just rule out all the aliens, I think there's legitimate concern from both parties in the United States is that hey we need to we need to be on top of this. That's my. Yeah, it's, guess.
0: It's, it's interesting because you know when I knew we were going to have this conversation, I saw something on Twitter and I tagged you in it yesterday. Um, mm-hmm. about all these stories happening. And, and, you know, we got into an interesting exchange with someone that saw it, and it was, it was an F-35 mm-hmm. pilot. And it was, it was fascinating to read someone, because I, I, I was basically asking... How come these things are unidentified if it's shot down with a sidewinder missile? I'm like, I've, I've seen Top Gun Maverick. I know how close you get yeah. to these things and you can see. It. But how is anything <laughs> right. unidentifiable? And then, you know, I posted a picture of like seven F 15s escorting a jumbo jet and flying like 10 feet away from it. I'm thinking, that's right. How is anything in this day and age unidentifiable? And it's interesting that this guy, you know, yeah. very uh, thoughtful responses talking about as an F 35 pilot, how fast you go and why it can be tough and he was very generous with his knowledge and sharing it but he but was. there were even parts in there that he said yeah i haven't got an answer to that particular question exactly. right and it, they revolved yeah. around opacity and angles and there were all kinds of things that yeah. you know even incredibly highly trained f35 pilots they can
1: answer so much and then you get yeah. to a point like
0: yeah that part i, I just don't know
1: right that's right yeah, and that—that's what's so interesting, right? And I enjoyed that exchange immensely. As much as I want to think that I'm I'm the next Tom Cruise and I know how to fire <laughs> side 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 winder missiles as well. It's great talking to you people. You've got to get tone. You know,
0: that's all I know. You yeah, get toned. once you got it. tone, it's all fine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and it was great. This guy, for those listening, this guy was, you know, he's an F-35 pilot. And he was really, he was super polite and and, and engaging. And, and it was cool. I love that. And that's one of the things that's great about Twitter, right? Like, you yeah. know, to get that kind of qualified engagement. But yeah, it kind of looped back around. The, the video that I shared in that thread was one of the, there, there's been a handful of videos with Chain of Custody, and that was one of them. And so for those listening and and they can find that thread you and I were in in, in Twitter, that link, which is available on YouTube and and was released and has been studied upside down and backwards, was an object that was tracking over Puerto Rico. And as it was flying over Puerto Rico, they were getting kind of a lock on it and tracking it. It wasn't moving particularly uh, fast, but it headed out and it just cut through the water. It went from being in the air to just, you know, gliding through the water like, you know, like a knife through hot butter. And then it separated while moving through the water and not slowing down for a blink. Separated into two pieces, traveling at the same speed through the water. I have no—I mean, I can't even fathom. Right. What is that? <laughs> you know. What are we dealing with? So these are these are fascinating things, and they're they're all over. There's there's just a
0: ton of stuff going on. So so let's talk about the implications of this because you, you you and your guys have obviously spent some time thinking this through right. and and as you said uh, a while ago you know your you, your conclusions aren't fully formed but you know as I sit and think about this and obviously it's all happening when we've got the rover on Mars and we've got mm-hmm. you know uh, Musk threatening to leave the planet and go and live there which I wish you'd just hurry up and do frankly but anyway that's, yeah you know, that's, that's, that's a whole other story. I'll, I'll, I'll,
1: I'll help fund that voyage. That'll be yeah, the one I'll, I'll thing that in. I, that'll I'll be the one in. time I invest, I invest in him. <laughs> right.
0: But, but so, so talk a little bit about your kind of preliminary conclusions Cause I mean, I literally, I've sat down and thought about this for the last few days after I knew we were going to have this conversation. Now, I was really kind of keen to have the conversation, but and when I sat down and thought about the implications and what to do with it, I just, I couldn't find anywhere to start. You know, I couldn't, I yes. couldn't get a toehold anywhere.
1: That we were the same. I, I was stuck for a while, too. I was saying, okay, the trader in me still got to make a living. So even that's, if they're going to, yeah, <laughs> even if Martians are still going to invade, what do I do? Do I want to be short all these markets and we're going to have a major sell-off? Um, well, the
0: Fed will cut rates if Martians invade. We know that much, right? That's, exactly. that's a given.
1: <laughs> it's, yeah, for sure, Guaranteed. Guaranteed. So w- we did look at this and there there's really two things that we've come up with that are really, really interesting to us. One, I absolutely believe that one of the most interesting companies in the world right now is Lockheed Martin. We think our firm actually believes that Lockheed Martin is sitting on alien spacecraft. I sincerely believe that, straight face. Yeah, I, I really believe that. And so we want to be long Lockheed Martin. We are long Lockheed Martin. Not investment advice, but we are long Lockheed Martin. We're also also long Northrop Grumman for for similar reasons. And similar to that kind of bridging over is that, you know, we think of those companies as aerospace defense companies, but they are potentially the most interesting energy companies in the world. Because if you follow and look, I'm not a physicist, not even for a day, I would be a terrible, you know, armchair physicist on Twitter. But our best stab at trying to understand some of the really crazy physics papers that accompany theories on what's going on, and by the way, there's some really fascinating patents that the Navy has on this type of stuff, warp drives and everything else, is that when you contemplate if we have anti-gravity, right? So let's say that we collected something, the aliens left us alone, they're not going to invade us, but we've got anti-gravity. Just the physics of that, the energy that that has figured out how to harness is mind bending and so if you think of like everybody that's been a uranium bull for the last couple of years right like if you like uranium you're gonna love anti-gravity
0: <laughs> you know what i mean no, because, no kidding.
1: so there's so much that's going on so a lot of people don't know this about us but I'll, i'm going to kind of bridge this this gap is that we look for unusual macro themes that are not well covered or understood, like today's topic. Well, you, fa- you, found, other- one here, yeah,
0: you found one we here. We found one sure. here,
1: for sure. This is by far the, the, the most intriguing. But the other one where we're really active that I, I think is, and this is how I'll tie it in, the other one where we're really active is we've always traded environmental commodities from the founding of our company. Carbon credits, renewable energy certificates, we're very active in those markets and have been for 13 years. And we're actually in the middle of a trade right now, which is a biodiversity credit. Sounds pretty exotic. And it's really mm-hmm. w- what's happening is one of our big macro themes, and this has been an overarching macro theme since our start, is that nature as an asset class is going to come into things. Not just the BS, you know, ESG stuff and nonsense, but you're going to see nature come onto the balance sheet. And if anybody doubts that, don't take my word for it. Look at what the New York Stock Exchange is doing with uh, NAX. Almost nobody knows this. We're all familiar with SPACs, but what's most interesting is NACs, which is a natural asset company, and it's effectively a way to take a piece of conservation and then take it public. Now, why do I mention that? Because because we're in that space and we trade everything. I trade oil. I trade gas. Like, you know, it's, it's not just environmental commodities. We trade whatever. What's interesting is if you look at the incredible pressure, and this is well-known by everybody listening, the incredible pressure on oil and gas companies, which is just completely trying to bend them to the will of, of environmentalists that have no grounding in reality of what's necessary for transition. Shell just got sued again for greenwashing, for spills in Nigeria, and the pressure is just mounting. If there is a shift as people are looking for clean energy and everybody's looking for it and you see and we discovered that that shift comes from reverse engineering alien technology you have just a complete change in in market dynamics and what's interesting is one of the most incredible ufo cases in history like the most famous is roswell but roswell is not the most interesting there's a case in brazil that's very interesting there's a case that was in zimbabwe and in zimbabwe this was in the i think this was in the 80s in zimbabwe this ufo landed broad daylight in front of a schoolyard these kids saw it there's a whole documentary on this it's super well documented and these kids saw it. these aliens come out and these aliens are like you know you guys are destroying the planet (laughs) and that was the telepathic message right and these kids there's this documentary that was recently done on it these kids it's incredible they all told the same story and you know individually like they had the exact same experience and so again i don't know are we at a tipping point climatically I don't know. We certainly are in in biodiversity loss. Like to me, what's compelling in trading environmental markets is it's not even the parts per million of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. It's actual biodiversity collapse. That data is really, really, really scary. And so, again, I don't know. I'm just kind of speculating here. But these are the things we're looking at where this stuff ties together. I think we could have an energy black swan or green swan if it's positive. I don't know how you describe that. But energy is really high on our list of disruption.
0: It's fascinating because we spend so much time looking at left tail risk. You know, yeah. And there's so much out there to look at and so much to get your head around and so much to kind of assign probabilities to. And whenever you kind of talk to people about right tail risk, cold fusion is a common one that comes up, right? And yeah. Goldilocks is another one. But this yep. stuff is pure right tail, unless obviously <laughs> these guys come out and they', they go full independence Day on this, which which't which, which matter yeah left tail risk.
1: But, yep. but it's but
0: it's so fascinating because you know whether you're skeptical, whether you're a firm believer in this stuff, it doesn't really matter. It's something that's so interesting to think about if you want to just take the time to do it and and open your eyes and kind of entertain outcomes. That might seem completely and utterly far-fetched, but Absolutely. the more you dig into this stuff, and you know, since we agreed to this to have this conversation, I've dug into this stuff, and yes. I have to say, I, I, I'm skeptical as I always am about all this stuff, but I find it truly fascinating when you yes. dig into it. Just that there actually is some there there. You know, it's not just yes. little green men and and you no. know, secret secret uh, stashes in the Nevada desert.
1: So I'll give you even a preview. So, you know, we try and get ahead of these curves and we try and identify, you know, experts or the people that are shaping these narratives, right? Whether those narratives are are false or true or whatever else, and then just kind of seeing where it's going. And so we've been fortunate in that there's over five years now since Tom DeLong and, you know, similar groups cooperating together have been doing this. And we've watched a bunch of their podcasts and this stuff's all, I mean, it's all free. It's all on the, on the internet. But if you track this stuff closely with what they're kind of alluding to that we're going to discover next, it's wild. I mean, what they're what they're saying is like, look, OK, that was now we're kind of getting out of the way that, you know, look, there's UFOs. And yes, we've probably been contacted. And this is where it gets into, you know, history channel type stuff, ancient aliens and everything else. Yeah. But there's a paper uh, that can be downloaded. It was written by Hal Putoff. I think it was in the Journal of Cosmology. And he'd been sitting on the paper for a long time, years and years and years, and finally got it peer-reviewed and and published. And it's called Ultra Terrestrials. And absolutely, you got to read this thing. It's mind-bending. And it's his various – and this is one guy, like I said at at the beginning of this, if there's one guy that I would watch very, very, very carefully – what he says, what he's doing that I believe is fully in the know, it's that guy. It's Dr. Hal Putoff. And when you read his paper, it's just mind expanding. I mean, there's, there's, you know, hypothesis that we've had breakaway civilizations and that they're here. There's hypothesis that, you know, this is us from the future traveling back in time. And as crazy as these things are, when you start to like read through it in like the way a actual physicist would put it forward. It starts to become like plausible. You're like, that makes sense. That's not as wild and crazy as it sounds. I mean, this is how science fiction books get written. You know, they take, right. you know, they take, they take ideas from real, you know, real world understandings of physics and quantum physics. And just another one to drop on everybody that's fascinating. This was one that my dad was really intrigued by. And again, there's just so much material on this. Anything that I forget the name of on this show, I'll post in your your Twitter feed with links to the books. But there was a book written several decades ago from a guy that was in the army and worked for a general that was in allegedly a general that was in charge of the the roswell uh, retrieval and what he claims is that we were successful in passing off some of the technology from you know these crash craft and passing that to to the private sector and the four technologies and this is this is what i encourage people to think about i'm not suggesting this is true do your own own research and come to your own conclusions but the four technologies were the microchip processor lasers fiber optics and microwave technology. And what's fascinating is it, so when I say those two just pause and think on just those four technologies. And 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 humanity's curve of of well and, and, and
0: <laughs> not only that right but imagine talking about microwave technology 50 years before the microwave was invented.
1: You are going to you're, right. you're going yeah. to zap and heat
0: your food instantly with some invisible ray. I mean it's just stuff. Yeah, exactly right.
1: Yeah. So if that's, again, if that's true and that's, you know, there's good reasons to believe that it is, this is why we have a play on, on Lockheed. And, and, you know, I have no, you know, shame or embarrassment in saying these things because this is what I love about my career. I get to go do wild, crazy stuff exactly <laughs> like this and, and, <laughs> and take punts on really exotic themes. But if that's the case and we are, and I believe this truly to be the case, like everything that my team, this has gone from hobby to like, we're digging in. And I sincerely believe that we have off-world craft. We understand it. We've utilized it. We reverse engineered it. And we know how to do things with it. So if there's now pressure mounting that that comes out, what happens next? Yeah. Do we have an energy revolution? Don't know. I hope so.
0: Fascinating. Fascinating. Well, David, I you, before we close, um, mm-hmm. you mentioned Dr. Pudoff. Just for people, I was going to say that there'll be people that are like, ah, whatever, a lot rubbish, but we lost them a long time ago. So the only people here after an hour are the people that are like, oh, this is, this is interesting, right? The same as me. It's like, I don't yeah. know if I believe it or not, but I'm fascinated by it. Um, yeah. So just tell people who are interested in, as, as the great Ted Lasso said, being curious and not judgmental. Um, uh-huh. If they do want to follow this, what's the best way for them to do that? Where, where are the best places to keep an eye to try and follow this story?
1: Yeah, so I, I would suggest follow Tom DeLong, he's out there, but he's very outspoken and open, and he's super interesting and deserves a lot of credit. Follow Lou Elizondo, Lou Elizondo is absolutely vital to this initiative because he was a former head of uh, ATIP and running the program. He's really 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 a key person. Um, How put off? I don't think he's got any social media channels, but he's in interviews. You can find plenty of information on him on YouTube. Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp are excellent. Um, Ryan Graves, who was one of the witnesses to UFOs and was a, yep. he's now uh, retired as a fighter pilot. He's now launched. Um, I haven't had a chance to, to listen to much of it, but he now has a podcast and is bringing other service men and women on to the podcast. So he's and he's been active with senators as well. So Ryan Graves, Ross Colthart, who's a journalist. He was a um, journalist from Australia is amazing. And he's got a colleague who, forgive me, I'm forgetting his name, but he's fantastic. These guys are doing just amazing, amazing job covering this stuff and investigating it. Like really amazing. Those would be, I would say those would be, you know, several of my kind of top picks. Oh, and Gary Nolan. Gary Nolan's an absolute intriguing character that's kind of risen to uh, popularity and intrigue just over the last year. Gary, N- Dr. Gary Nolan, is a, um, he's a scientist at, uh, at Stanford and he was brought in studying havana syndrome which you may have heard of are you familiar with havana no, syndrome no 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 okay so so we had um we had government personnel in havana and other diplomats that have you know passed through there and they were getting um effectively brain injury and it seemed like it was like a microwave blast at their heads and this was being you know reported and so it became known as havana syndrome if you google it you'll see a bunch of stuff come up and um dr gary nolan was helping study that and he was asked actually by the the cia to study a a series of cases because it mimicked havana syndrome but it was from servicemen that it had exposure to uh reported ufo events right and okay. he found some and he found similar similar patterns the, the the radiation and he's been everywhere he's he's all over now gary nolan you'll find tons of stuff on him he's very interesting so those would be a handful of of what I consider reputable and very interesting key people that are in the space. There's a dozen more, but like starting with those is more than enough to to whet the appetite Fantastic. for anybody that's for anybody that's still with us Fantastic. you
0: and I are still here I don't care if it's just you and me talking I'm fascinated by the whole thing well look um the other resource obviously uh for people listening this is you so tell people how they can follow you not ju- not just your the, the stuff that you post about this but also the other great work sure. you do at door capital because you're 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 just such a great follow on twitter for all sorts okay. of things
1: yeah, I appreciate it. So the best place to find me is is absolutely on Twitter. Yeah, you know, my handle's, you know, David Door, last name's D-O-R-R. Um, our website's Door Asset. And basically the easiest place to find us is, is LinkedIn or, or, or Twitter is the best way to get in touch. And we're always happy to engage with other, uh, uh other curious minds out there. So, so reach out anytime to, to those of you that are, that are enjoying this.
0: Fantastic. My friend, if I, if I had a thought at the beginning of last week, that I'd spend an hour talking about aliens and UFOs and come away <laughs> with my head buzzing with questions. I'd have told you, you were crazy, but this has been so much fun. I really appreciate you doing this at Likewise. short notice. And, uh, I look forward to following the story with you because I just I just find it yeah. I just find it engaging and and highly highly fascinating. So thank you.
1: Yeah, likewise, Grant. It's always a pleasure, and uh, and thank you for entertaining this stuff with me. It'll, it'll be a journey for all of us together.
0: Amen. All right, my friend. I will talk to okay. you again soon. Thanks again, David.
1: All right. Cheers.
0: Well, I got to say. Uh, I may have botched the quote the first time, Ryan, but as Ted Lasso said, be curious, not judgmental. And I have to say, I found that absolutely fascinating. And I can fully understand why there will be many, many people who either gave up halfway through and just poo-poo the whole thing, which is absolutely understandable and completely fair. But for me, I just think it's too fascinating to not think about it and spend a little time wondering what this all might mean, because... There is a reason for this spate of reportings about all these incidents. I don't know what it is yet. I have absolutely no clue. But it was a great chance to talk to David. I found the whole thing just riveting. And I look forward to following the story with him. And hopefully some of you will come along with me on the journey. That's all for me for another uh, edition of the podcast. I will be back again with another guest in the not-too-distant future. In the meantime, thank you, particularly this week, for listening.